days on, there is still lots and lots of impact being felt around the palace and the person who's most furious is Charles. It was supposed to be a travelogue over their trip and it turned out to be a counselling session on the state of their mental health. Well, it's been a while since they've seen Doria, haven't they? And, and, you know, she's the grandmother of little Archie. I think Megan's probably quite homesick. Hi there, and welcome to Royals. It's the only podcast that reveals what really goes on behind palace doors. I'm Zoe Burrell, and today we'll be talking about Charles's anger over the family feud, Kate and William's secret pact, and the mystery behind the Queen's shoes. Joining us today to share her amazing knowledge is royal expert and commentator Angela Mollard. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Ange. How are you doing today? Oh, I think everyone's going to be hanging out to hear about the Queen's shoes, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can't wait to find out what it is. (laughs) Well, stick with us. (laughs) Of course, though, we have to talk about the fallout from Harry and Meghan's candid documentary. What fallout? (laughs) Well, it's been quite ongoing, hasn't it? (laughs) The only story that I feel like I've read for the last week. But yes, look, wasn't it extraordinary? I would say... Look, any woman, when they're, especially when they're pregnant, you're really vulnerable. And so that was made really challenging. And then when you have a newborn, you know. You, mm-hmm. It's so, a long time ago, but I remember, yeah. yeah. You know, as, and especially as a woman, it's really, it's a lot. So you add this on top of just trying to be a new mom or trying to be a newlywed. It's... Um, yeah, well, I guess, and also thank you for asking, because not many people have asked if I'm okay, but it's uh, it's a very real thing to be going through behind the scenes. When I watched the snap of, of Megan speaking on video, I actually had to watch it twice to realise that it wasn't an actor or a double or something like that. It's so unusual for a member of the royal family to speak out like that. But anyway, um, days on, there is still uh, lots and lots of impact being felt around the palace and the person who's most furious is Charles. And you can see why. It, it's not just that he is the heir in waiting and that he needs to inherit a stable royal family. It's that his own documentary, which is uh, a two-part series into the workings of the Duchy of Cornwall, so how the whole thing operates. And remember, the Duchy of Cornwall is very wealthy and provides a lot of money for the royal family and sustains his side of the family. So his particular documentary about his endeavours and his business is completely overshadowed by Harry and Meghan's uh, documentary on Africa, which essentially wasn't on Africa. It was, you know, it was supposed to be a travelogue over their trip and it turned out to be a counselling session on the state of their mental health. There's been a lot of talk in the press about rifts with your brother. How much of that is true? (laughs) Um, Part of of this role and part of this job and this family being under the pressure that it's under Inevitably, you know, stuff um, stuff happens. But look, we're we're brothers. We're, we'll always be brothers. Um, we're certainly on different paths at the moment. But I will always be there for him, and as I know, he'll always be there for me. Um, you know, we don't see each other as much as we as much as we used to because we're so busy. Um, but you know, I, I love him dearly, and you know, the majority of the stuff is probably well, the majority of stuff is created out of nothing. Um, but you know, it's just as I said, as brothers, you know, you have good days, you have bad days. Now, look, I actually feel sorry for Charles. I think he's right. Anything that he does as a 70-year-old man is a 70-year-old middle age. Well, what do we say, 70? 70-year-old older statesman 
uh, is, is completely overshadowed by the young glamorous royals. And on this occasion, I think he's right. He's been completely sabotaged by Harry and Meghan. Um, you know, they don't seem to time their endeavours particularly well. They also um, stomped across the, the end of Kate and William's trip in Pakistan. In fact, they undid some of the good work that they'd done in Africa by even addressing these issues in a documentary tied to that. I'm not saying they shouldn't have addressed them. What I'm saying is that I didn't think the timing or the uh, avenue was appropriate. Anyway, I'm sure Charles will get over it, but um, <laughs> but yeah, he'll have to plant a few more sunflower seeds and things to keep that duchy going because he's not got, <laughs> got quite as much public following as he might have liked through the doco. No, not quite. Mm. Although I know the royal family have always had this stiff upper lip mm. kind of strategy. Mm. But what do you think? Should Harry and Meghan have maintained that? Or do you think it was wise to do this? Yeah, it's incredibly polarising. And if you read the British papers, it, it, it is anyone over 40 says stiff upper lip. Anyone under 40 is we are generation mental health and they talk about how they're feeling. I tend to go with the younger generation on this. I like the fact that they've spoken about it. I think it's important that we know how they're feeling. I think they're far more vulnerable than we had any idea about. I think it begs questions about how it's managed. I think this stiff upper lip has its place on occasion. And, you know, as a friend of mine in the UK who's a, a journalist said that the royal family are supposed to be a blank canvas upon whom we project our thoughts and feelings. Well, I think that's an unreasonable expectation in the modern era. And I think the royal family does have to evolve. If it didn't, they'd still be chopping each other's heads off as they were 500 years ago. So I think it's important that they evolve. Uh, that they evolve. I think it's important that they spoke about how they felt. But as I said just now, I don't think the forum or the timing was particularly thoughtful. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Mm. Look, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. I think that they've opened a can of worms, the implications of which are huge. If their marriage ends up in trouble, which when one of the members of the family is riddled by guilt, as, as Harry is, and the other is questioning her naivety, and that's the word she used in, in, in marrying into the royal family, it's only a matter of time when those external factors become internal factors between the two of them. I hope they get good guidance. I think they need great mentors. I think that the great sadness is this is the time when they need Diana. They need someone mm. who understands um, on an emotional level what it is like to live on the, in that family, but also with the understanding of the full workings of the royal family and intimate knowledge of it. And I think there's a real absence of anchor points for them. They sort of fall between the royal flunkies who are paid to advise them and are not doing a particularly good job and family members, but those family members are increasingly fractured. Harry's um, pushed William, his greatest ally, out of the way. And I think I that was, is... I was quite abs- shocked by those comments, It actually, was. Yeah, were you? Yeah. yeah, I was too, Zoe. I mean, he went so far, didn't he? And, and to, to say we are on different paths is a tantamount to saying we basically don't speak to each other. And look, I have a theory on what's happened there, and I don't think... Um, I don't think William's at fault. So I think it's pretty obvious what happened. William, who spent a long time deciding um, that he was going to marry Kate because he knew how important it is to this institution and to his concept of duty, which possibly he upholds. Uh, you know, he's the second most dutiful member of the family 
you know, on paper after the Queen, I think. I mean, he ha- he wants a clean copy book to go into the role that he will eventually inherit. But I think what's really interesting is that po- probably what he did say to Harry was something along the lines of, are you sure? Which is a reasonable thing to say when you've met someone, you've fallen in love, she's American, uh, there's lots of issues, there's lots of pressures on them. She doesn't have the ballast of a, of a close-knit family in the UK. It was not unreasonable for William to say to Harry, "Is is this a you know? Have you thought about this? Should you wait longer?" Or whatever he said, we we know he said something. We just don't know what it was. Clearly, what's happened is Harry has, in the same way that he is quite reactive with the press and quite reactive in certain situations, was probably very reactive to William. Doubtless went home and said to Megan, "You won't believe what William said to me." Instead of seeing it as a well-meaning and caring inquiry what they've both obviously got their backs up and now there's this this friction between them which is so psychologically stupid and basic yeah. and and what they need is each other all they have is each other you know they grew up in boarding school these boys they it's it's their it's their brotherly relationship and their friends at, more than their relationship with Prince Charles, which is going to um, anchor them as they go forward. So I think it's foolhardy of Harry to have dismissed that relationship. I hope that they find a way back to each other. But, I, you know, it, it's it's ill-advised and thoughtless of Harry to react in that way. And, and just think about it, Zoe. I was thinking about how much Harry, his whole persona has changed in, in a year and a half. Remember, he was the prince we all adored. He was the funny, lighthearted, easygoing guy that, you know, that was great mates with uh, William and Kate, you know, when they started the Heads Together charity, they, it seemed like a really cohesive. I know, it um, was like a little trio. Yeah, and they did really well. Pals, and there's no seemed. reason why they couldn't have been a quartet. Um, they, they didn't have to live in, in each other's pockets. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the anger, the sadness, the um, self-confessed, you know, mental fragility of Harry is, is really worrying. And I don't know where they go from here, but I hope they get good advice. Mm. Although they do actually have some support from an unlikely person, they don't do. they? They did. I know. I'm not sure that this is, you know, top-notch support. But anyway, <laughs> well, it is in terms of um, the person that is. So, yes, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who married them, has actually stepped in and said, so the backstory is that uh, Harry and Meghan are going to have six weeks off uh, now, well, from mid-November after Remembrance Day and a couple of other things that they've got on, they're going to take from mid-November through to Christmas uh, off, which is perfectly fine. And uh, But there's been a bit of criticism about that. You know, why do they need another holiday, blah, blah. And Justin Welby, the Archbishop, has come out and said, look, they're in an invidious position. It's a very, very difficult job. There's lots of pressures that most of us don't understand, and it's perfectly reasonable for them to take some time off. I think it's very interesting that somebody of his uh, magnitude and calibre has come out in support of them. And that indicates to me that he's terribly worried about them as well. I mean, it's a pastoral care moment really as far as I see it that for him to step out and say it. and instead of it being you know unnamed friends and gossipy sources having a a person like him on the record adds strength to the idea that they really aren't coping you know he he performed brilliantly at their wedding and you know in the absence of role models and people to guide them 
you can't go wrong with an archbishop, can you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. He probably just wants to go and visit them in the US where they're touted to be going, by the yes, way. Well, yeah. that's what I was mm. about to ask you because I know there has been sort of talk they're going over there for Thanksgiving. Yes. But oh, well, I think could a permanent move happen? Well, it's been a while since they've seen Doria, haven't they? And, mm. and you know, she's the grandmother of little Archie. I think Megan's probably quite homesick. I think it was probably agreed upon a long time ago. Um, where they stay how they manage security, how much they're followed, how much they actually get to do, how it all plays out, I have no idea. But I think that um, clearly they need to, you know, they need to spend time with her family. She needs to spend some time stateside. Uh, she's got lots of friends there. Oh, good on them. You know, they do they do work hard and we don't see the pressure that we don't understand or can, can not really understand the pressure they're under. I know everyone says, oh, yes, but look, they live in castles and she has all the clothes she wants. <laughs> But that doesn't make you happy, does it? They no. need they need to find a cohesive purpose. They need to be aligned together. They need good support. And yeah, good on them for going to the States. I hope, you know, I hope they have a lovely time with Doria. I hope they sort of find their feet. Megan can go to some yoga classes, you know, and and hopefully Harry can chill out and read a book and and um look, just get away from it for a bit. I think they need it. I think they do too, especially since they'll have a lawsuit. Oh, coming yes. up, don't they? I know they have a lawsuit coming up, and you know the latest development in that is that Megan's texts and um, messages could be read out. The reason for this is that the Mail on Sunday is being sued. Their defence will be that in printing Thomas Markle's letter, they were only bringing to light a letter which Megan had already put into uh, the public domain, and the reason that the that her texts and messages will be uh, be cross examined in court is that the court will want to know to what extent she endorsed that People magazine article, which led us all to know that there was a letter in existence. Now, I think it's highly likely she endorsed that article. As as we know, there was five friends who anonymously spoke to People magazine and, and you know, the quotes in that, that piece were pretty accurate as to the contents of the letter. So they had obviously, who you know, whoever these friends are had obviously glimpsed that letter and you know, to what extent Megan said, yes, go for your life or to the extent that the friends acted um, uh, on their own. It's it, We don't know, but it's hard to believe that Megan's friends would act without her permission. So, you know, it could get pretty messy and pretty ugly. Whether or not that justifies the breach of copyright or not, well, the court will have to decide. But yeah, it, it, look, she's pretty, she's strong-minded about this. She was given a lots of advice on it and she's decided to pursue this case. And it's not the first time there's been a copyright case. The Queen and Prince Charles have both uh, um, gone through court accusing the media of, of breach of copyright and won. So that's not unprecedented. I think that's just that the interest in her and her case will be enormous because, of course, anything to do with Thomas Markle or Samantha Markle makes headlines, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. It certainly does. It'll be interesting to watch that one and see yeah, what happens. Indeed. Moving on, we know that the Cambridges and Sussexes are going to get together for an event soon, aren't they? Yes, and this will be interesting because um, it's Remembrance Day on November the 11th, obviously. They're due to attend the Cenotaph together. Uh, a very important day, obviously, for Harry who fought in Afghanistan. So the commemoration of Remembrance Day is, is important to all of them. Look, I don't envy them. There will be cameras on their faces and their exchanges and how they speak to each other and how they greet each other and one shot of them looking away from each other will be, you know, <laughs> will will speak volumes. But, um, yes, it has to happen. 
they are members of the same family and occasionally they're going to be photographed together as <laughs> however much they might uh, have a rift um but yeah it's going to be it's going to be uncomfortable i imagine but it'll be interesting to see how they play it out look we've been there before there was uh, unrest between them as we know and then in the lead up to christmas they had they stepped out together uh, at sandringham at christmas and the pictures were lovely so yeah, they did a very good job i think yeah. during that outing <laughs> yeah well megan <laughs> is an actress after all she does very well but gosh i'd love to know wouldn't you just just love, love, love to know what they talk about on the way there as yes, they're getting ready <laughs> afterwards. I mean, honestly, fly on the wall. That would, uh, yeah. If I could be a fly anywhere, it would be on the inside inside of Frogmore Cottage in Windsor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and speaking about the Cambridges, we've heard that Kate and William had a secret pact. They did. I really. Uh, it was, this is interesting. This has come from Katie Nichol, who's uh, written a new biography of uh, Kate and William. And what happened? And this is very believable to me. So, as you know, they had this long-standing relationship. Then they split up, which. Kate had spoken about, as has William, about, you know, what impact it had on them at the time. Kate said she grew a lot from it, even though she didn't want it at the time. But when they came back together again a few months later, and this is in 2007, they went on a holiday together to the Seychelles and Kate uh, reportedly really wanted some clarification from William of, you know, what his intentions were. Anyway, they nutted out on this holiday that they did want to marry each other, that they would take their time, but that they had made that commitment. So that was actually three years before they became engaged. They got engaged in 2010 and married in 2011. I like this idea. I think it's really smart. It's really mature. It's basically saying, we're young. I want to be with you, but we are going to be under such enormous pressure when we are together. There's going to be expectations of children. Let's just take some time. And of course, what happened after that is that William was posted to far-flung Wales. They had three years there. They enjoyed their privacy. Kate went to the supermarket. They went for long walks. They had, I mean, they weren't anonymous, obviously, but they had a, a lot of fun and a lot of time to just grow together and spend time together. So very smart move. I think more of us should do that, shouldn't we? I Let's make so a pact too. that we will get married, um, but we won't do it for a while. We'll <laughs> give it some time to play it out. I think it's very smart. It is. It's a very smart decision. Yes. And then by in that time, you can think about how much money you don't want to spend on the wedding <laughs> and scale it back from 160 people. So I don't think they had to worry about that. No, no, that's true, Zoe. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Moving on, the Queen's dresser, Angela Kelly, has published her long-awaited book. Are there any juicy tidbits from that? It's fantastic. There's so much in this book. I love it. I'm going to give you a few anecdotes. So what I love is that there was a story about uh, Angela has been the Queen's dresser for decades. They're really close friends, even though uh, Angela's only in her early 50s and the Queen obviously is in her 90s. But um, on one particular occasion, she tells the story of how they're, in they're coming to Australia. The Queen's very excited to see the wildlife, kookaburras and whatnot. Anyway, Angela, while the Queen's at some event, Angela goes out and buys a toy stuff kookaburra puts it in a cage in the queen's um bedroom at, at um government house queen comes back from a cage and comes in looks at the kookaburra in the cage and goes oh my gosh there's a kookaburra obviously she says it posher than that <laughs> and angela walks over and opens the cage and goes oh my gosh the kookaburra is dead 
the Queen rushes over to look at the kookaburra, realises that she's been had, and Angela turns around and says, oh, got you, April Fool's, <laughs> to, which, to which the Queen apparently turned to Prince Philip and said, she's sacked. <laughs> so I love that story. It's very funny. Look, you can tell they get on really well. The other thing I love was that um, Angela asked the Queen for elocution lessons. She's from the north of England, so she'll have a, she has a much broader, less uh, received pronunciation accent than the Queen. Anyway, the Queen said, no, you don't need allocution lessons and she pushed and pushed and Angela kept saying could you please uh, advise someone in the end she said to her can you give me allocution lessons and apparently the queen just turned to her and said there's one word you just um, need to learn to say and that is furious so instead of saying (laughs) furious like we all say or furious you say furious and or even better than that sorry mine's not very good but apparently <laughs> furious is the word that she taught her uh, that was the only word apparently she didn't give her elocution lessons but she tried um so yes and then the other lovely detail that i like is that angela actually is the same shoe size as the queen so she wears the shoes in that the queen has to wear to events and um and breaks them in and makes them more comfortable and checks that they're comfy before the queen herself wears them wouldn't it be wow. nice to have somebody that just just broke your shoes in for you like wore them once or twice although it's a bit creepy isn't it <laughs> it is a little bit odd but i mean at least you'd avoid those blisters on the back of your heels <laughs> exactly i know and but just imagine how i mean poor angela has to clomp around buckingham palace in multiple pairs of shoes just so that the queen uh, as you say doesn't get blisters anyway i thought there was really sweet it's look for more I've only read excerpts from the book um and there's a beautiful photo being released to accompany this book to show that the queen has endorsed it and it's very rare for the queen to endorse someone writing a book about her and this photo is a picture of the queen in a sort of cream tweedy shift dress and it's got pockets on it and you know how we always see the queen clutching her handbag or she's you know, sort of bent over. This picture is gorgeous. Check it out if you can. It the queen's got her hands in the pockets of the shift dress. She's sort of, she's more upright and her posture's stronger, and she's more relaxed. And this expression on her on her face is just absolutely gorgeous. And you forget that this is a ninety three year old woman, but it's a really, it's a much more relaxed shot that than we've seen before. So check that one out. I love it. I think it's absolutely lovely. And I also feel. How lovely for the Queen to have someone she can utterly rely on, utterly trust, someone that has a fairly intimate relationship with her because of because she has to get the Queen in and out of um, dresses and petticoats and whatnot. So, she, you know, they clearly know each other very well. And to do a job such as the Queen's, to have someone as loyal, as dependable and as fun as Angela must be great for her. I'm, I'm really, really excited to read this book. Yes, I know. I can't wait to get a copy as well. <laughs> be good, won't it? And finally, just before I let you go, we've heard there's a secret to the royal christening. Oh now. yes, I forgot about this. So this is my, <laughs> I love this story too. That so the you know the, the queen uh, insisted that the Honiton lace gown that was you know hundreds of years old and had been commissioned by Queen Victoria and had been used for multiple christenings uh, over this last century uh, was basically falling to bits. So Angela Kelly took the this christening gown to Italy with her to choose some lace. She had, actually had it in her handbag, not in her hand luggage, so that it couldn't go missing. She wanted to try and replicate the lace as as closely as possible. Anyway, they bought some lace. They took it back to the palace, but they wanted it to have that sort of oldie-worldie, you know, kind of antique lace look. And so they steeped this material in tea, Yorkshire tea. (laughs) Yorkshire tea, of course, is the strongest tea in England, and steeped it for a few minutes in tea. It took on this lovely... um, you know, sort of a tarnished, antique, beigey, creamy colour. And so George, Charlotte, 
Louis, Archie have all been wearing a christening gown steeped in tea. I just love it. I love that it's, I love it so kind of home handy hints. It is. It reminds me of sort of, you know, doing my assignments back in primary school where you dab tea bags exactly. on the edge of the paper. Or- I know they may be posh, but they still do everything else like we do. Well, in some cases, they obviously don't have to do the dishes or set the table, do they? Shame. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Anne. Thanks, Zoe. And thank you to everyone for listening. For more on the Royals, please go to newidea.com.au or our Facebook page, New Idea Royals. And of course, don't forget to pick up a copy of New Idea Royals Monthly. Monthly.